Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Enter not into temptation. Let's pray. Lord, you have moved among us with power and with authority. Lord, speaking to us and directing our steps. Lord, in this process of, of walking with you, I ask, Lord, that we would not enter into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Lord, have your way in this body. Lord, it's clear that this body is not of the human flesh. It is not of the will of man. It is of the will of your spirit. I ask, Lord Jesus, that tonight we would see your spirit move in our hearts. Move among us, Spirit of the living God. Have the freedom of this house. Thank you, mighty God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If I were to ask you to talk with me about the temptations of Jesus, what would you want to talk to me about? Probably you would begin telling me that Jesus was driven out into the wilderness. And as he was out there in that wilderness, the devil came to him and said, turn these stones into bread. And we refer to this incident as the temptation of Jesus. And no doubt it was a temptation. And no doubt it was very painful for Jesus. But that really is not the temptation of Jesus. There is another incident in Scripture that is a much greater temptation to Jesus Christ. One that caused him to suffer way beyond anything that he suffered out there in that desert wilderness. Now, you understand, in the wilderness, he would have died had the angels of God not come and ministered to him. But he would have also died in this temptation that we refer to tonight had the angels of God not come and rescued him. And that makes me, right at the beginning, just stop and ask you. If I were to ask you the story of your life, and I were to say, what are your temptations? Could you list them? Have you been involved in a temptation so utterly devastating to you that you feared for your very life? Or did you simply give in to the temptation so you didn't have to face the struggle and the agony? Do you have an experience of dealing with temptation where you have shed your blood before you would enter into that? Jesus has that testimony. We refer to it as the Garden of Gethsemane. We find the story in Mark. Mark, the 14th chapter. We'll begin with verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. As you know, they often went to Gethsemane. They often went to the place of crushing. Jesus did not avoid the place of crushing. Every time you go into your prayer closet, you are going into the place of crushing. For the prayer closet is Gethsemane. 
The only way you're going to be successful in dealing with the temptations that come to your life is to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and face the crushing stone. Now, I don't know about you. I'd much rather stop by the ice cream place and have a soda and an ice cream. I'd much rather do some other activity. I would rather avoid the crushing place. I'd rather avoid Gethsemane. But if I avoid Gethsemane, I will fall to the temptation. And I will be defeated. And then I will pay the consequence with the judgment of God upon my life and upon my family's life. Let's read. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, what was it that was causing Jesus to be deeply distressed and troubled? It was temptation. He was being tempted to call on his father and say, get me out of here. Take this cup from me, father, take this cup from me. All things are possible to you. Take this cup from me. What cup was was he speaking about? He was speaking about the cup that was filled with my sin and your sin and the sin of the world. And he was being given that cup, and he was being told that he must drink that cup all the way to the bottom. All sin that had ever been committed and all sin that ever would be committed was in that cup, and he had to drink that. Now, that was going to have a very profound effect on his life. It was going to separate him from his father. Now, that does not seem like such a big thing for us because we're able to casually leave the presence of the Father. We're satisfied in the presence of the one and only self. We've learned to entertain ourselves. We've learned to pursue our own course of action. We've learned to be quite independent And so when we're separated from the Father, well, what's the problem? But Jesus was totally dependent upon the Father. He only spoke what the Father gave him to speak. He only taught what the Father taught him. His life was entwined in the life of the Father. They were one together. You could not tell where Jesus ended and the Father began, or the Father ended and Jesus began. They were one. And now, for the first time in the ages of the universe, this cup that was being placed before him was going to separate him from his Father. And he was tempted to say, it's not worth it. He was tempted to say, Ray Greenlee is not worth it. That Chris Luther is not worth it. That Eugenie is not worth it. He was tempted to leave it all behind and go back to his father. Had he succumbed to that temptation the world would have exploded in a ball of fire and judgment would have fallen irreversibly on every living creature. Jesus was tempted. And he suffered in that temptation. Now we need to stop for just a moment. I've given you this definition before, but... I must keep coming back. 
and giving you this definition again and again. And I urge you, if you have paper and pencil, write this definition down. Definitions are very helpful because they are a vehicle for us to freight with meanings that enlarge our understanding and create an avenue by which the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts. I'm trained in the study of theology. I was taught in the seminary that the study of theology meant the study of God. That is the world's definition of theology. It is not God's definition of theology. God is not a specimen that you can study him. He can't be placed under a microscope. He can't be contained for scientific evaluation. He is the creator God. So let me give you a different definition for theology. It is, first of all, a confession of the truth. If you're going to deal with God, you're going to have to confess that he is true, that what he says is true, that who he is is true, that he is reality. You can't even begin to approach God until you are willing to admit that he is someone way beyond your understanding, way beyond your ability to deal with. You can't box with this God. You have to come with a confession that God is true. That confession of truth always comes out of what we call revelation knowledge. We know that God is true because God comes and reveals himself to us. And by that revelation of who he is, we know he is who he says he is. There is no possible way of knowing God without a revelation by God of who God is. Everything we know about God was given to us by revelation. There is no going to some island and studying the specimens and saying, oh, this is who God is. We see his footprint here. We, no, you can't come to God that way. The only way you can come to God is through divine revelation. And you have to make a confession that that revelation is true. Or you cannot begin to know the ways of God. You can't begin to know who God is. He comes with overwhelming evidence that he is who he says he is. So the first step in understanding God must be a confession that God is true. Secondly, theology means that after I've confessed that God is true, I must have time then to reflect on that truth. It's a vital concern that you take your Bible, you take a notebook, and at least once a day, you go off by yourself and you just sit down somewhere and you're quiet and you wait before God And you begin to muse. You begin to reflect. You begin to meditate on the truth that has been revealed to you from Jesus Christ. As you reflect on that truth, he will begin to speak to you and give you increased divine revelations. That's the study of theology. And as you reflect on what you know about him as you reflect on what you've read in the word, and he quickens that in your heart, you're beginning to study theology. Now, there's a third part. The third part is that you must begin to put into practice the revelation that you have received. You must practice, you must obey, you must do, you must actually walk out the revelation that you have. So the study of theology is receiving a divine revelation, reflecting on that revelation, 
and then beginning to walk in obedience to what you've been revealed, to the truth you've been shown. You see, the world would say that theology is the study of God. But it does not include reflection. It does not include revelation. And it does not include obedience. And all of us in this place tonight have been raised with the world's definition of theology. We thought we could come and take a little class and write down our little answers. And then we've got it. Teach us some principles, pastor. And we'll go out and we'll have a very nice life. Thank you very much. Doesn't work that way. You see, the truth that I've begun to realize in my own heart is that I have been assigned, hopefully, 85 or 90 years. And there is only one purpose for my life during those 85 or 90 years. And that is to prepare to live for eternity. That's the only purpose of those years. To prepare to live for eternity. The purpose of those years is not to make money, not to have a lifestyle, not to take care of responsibilities. The purpose of those years are not to keep people happy, to form social alliances. The purpose for those years is to study God, to know who he is, to receive his divine revelation to reflect on the reality of that revelation and then to put into practice what is revealed to me in that. Because God is preparing me to live for eternity. Look, my stay on earth is just a part-time job. It's a part-time job. I'm leaving here soon. I have an eternity to live. I mean, which of you didn't go to the first grade? Why did you go to the first grade? Because mama thought you should learn to read? You went to the second grade. Hopefully by then you were past C. Dick Run. I mean, right? You went on through school. Some of us even went on through graduate school. Some of us, bachelors of divinity, three years of graduate study. Well, why did we do all of that? So we could get a job. Isn't that what you were told? I mean, if you don't, Go to school, you can't get a good job. You've got to have your education so you can make money. You've got to buy a house and you've, you know, look, you can either work for $10 an hour or you can get an education and make $35 an hour or $100 an hour, maybe $200 an hour. You can live the American dream, right? Isn't that the song, the siren song of America? Well, I've got another song for you. It says, take every minute you have in the school of the living God of heaven and prepare yourself for eternity. Not so you can live the lifestyle of the rich and the famous, with your feet in some mushy cloud. But so that you can be in the temple of the living God as his servant and serve as an ambassador to the universes, bearing testimony concerning who Jesus is because you've been to school 80, 90 years you've been to school. And now you're prepared to go out. And you're prepared to go out and tell the universes who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for you, what he did for earth, 
how his majesty was lifted up here, you're also going to have to go and explain why he had to die. Why he suffered. Because they don't understand death. They don't understand suffering. They've never wept. It's only those of us who have lived on Terra who have wept. But then all tears shall be wiped away. And we're going to use the education we have received to be certain forever through the ages that sin never arises again in a newly created planet. Because when that created planet comes to pass, men and women from earth are going to be there to teach those new beings who Jesus is. We've walked the walk. Now you understand, all of this was at stake as Jesus faced Gethsemane. It wasn't just you and me that was at stake. It was the whole galaxies of the universe that were at stake. Charges had been made against the living God of heaven. Those charges had to be met. The very foundation of God's government was being challenged. And now on the stage, the drama was being played out and the spotlight was directly on Jesus but he didn't want to drink the cup. He was perfect. He was sinless. But he didn't want to drink the cup because he didn't want to be separated from his father. He couldn't bear the thought of being separated from his father. He was pushed to the very limit I want you to look at this with me again in Mark. Verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, you know, that's the familiar. He's saying, Daddy, Daddy, everything is possible for you, Daddy. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Now, you might, you might drink the cup for somebody who was up on their toes and alert, who cared. You might drink the cup for somebody who was standing on tiptoe cheering you on. But will you drink the cup for somebody who just goes to sleep on you? I mean, do you understand what the disciples missed out on? They could have been putting their arms around Jesus and holding him tight to their breast. They could have been saying, Jesus, please go through with this. Our lives are at stake. We believe in you. We trust you. They couldn't do it. They were asleep. Why were they asleep? Because they had not spent much time studying who God was. They thought it was about what they could get instead of what they could give. And now when Jesus needed them, They were not there for him. And yet Jesus was being asked by the Father to die for the very people who weren't there for him. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch. 
this revelation was given to me by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying so he would not enter into temptation. And now he's telling his disciples, if you would pray, you will not enter into temptation. In other words, those sins that so quickly grab us, grab us because we have not spent our time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Those things that well up in our hearts and overcome us, the unbelief, the fear, the bitterness, the anger, all of those things come up because we've not been in the prayer closet. We've not been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, there's a dramatic difference between Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane and me being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was pleading with the Lord, God of heaven, take this cup from me because I don't want to be separated from you. When I go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, I'm praying, oh God, unite my heart with yours. Bring me into you because I've been in the world all of this time and the lusts of the world fill my soul. Oh God, instead of being separated from God, as we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're united with God. That being so, you have to stop and ask the question, what is so distasteful to us about going into the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, I can understand Jesus' temptation. He was being shut away from the Father. But when I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm being invited into the heart of the Father. And instead of that being something awesome and pleasurable and wonderful, I see that as something hard, negative, difficult. How can I bear to leave my darling ideas over here? How am I going to live without my little idols? How can I possibly exist if I don't have my drug of choice? How can I give up being number one? How can I give up being somebody who's so important? How can I give that up to go get in the heart of the creator of the universe? Isn't there a reality problem here? See, the devil has shaped our perception of reality. And he has lied against the father. He has said that the father is hard. He said that the father is difficult to live with. He has said that the father can't be trusted. He said that the father's heart is not love. He said the father is going to steal from you and rob from you. And if you really want to be happy, you've got to stay out here in your independent mess. But if you want to be happy, you've got to be free. And if you're with the Father, you're not free. You're a servant. You deserve to be independent. You deserve to be able to take any kind of poison you want into your system and kill yourself. Isn't it fun? The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. And we've believed his lies. So everything over here with the devil is about me and my deal and how I'm going to survive and how I'm going to be happy. The temptation is to stay there. And the father is saying, come, come into my heart. Walk with me. 
Jesus is facing this horrible temptation. He wants to leave. He doesn't want to be separated from the Father. He would rather be separated from you than to be separated from the Father. Because he sees what is in man's heart. He sees the wickedness in our spirit. He sees the uncleanness, and he doesn't want to be a part of that. He wants to be in the pure heart of the Father. He's tempted to leave us in our mess, to walk away, to say, I did my best and it wasn't enough. I'm not going to go any further. There was no assurance that if he died on the cross, he would be accepted by the Father. He had no certainty of life beyond the cross. There was a pale over the future. He was not able to exercise his divine ability. He was fully man, and all he could see before him was death on a cross. Would he risk being separated eternally from the Father to utterly cast his lot with you and with me as sinners? Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. There are some foolish people who say you should not pray anything more than once because that demonstrates a lack of faith. Those people are liars. They're of the devil. Jesus spent a number of hours saying the same thing over and over. Because he knew he had to fight this demon all the way through to victory. He came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. I mean, how about, I love you. How about, thank you? How about, I'm sorry I'm letting you down. My heart is so crushed. I don't know what to do. Help me, Jesus. Finally, returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. See, the temptation was to deliver the Son of Man into the hands of the Father and leave. but he fought that temptation in the prayer closet and he fought it through until it was finished. And when it was finished, he said, it's enough. It was no longer a temptation. He went boldly from that place and suffered incredible persecution, torture, until finally stretched high and wide on that cross with his hands nailed to the wood cross and his feet pegged to that cross, dying of asphyxiation, couldn't get his breath, rubbing his raw bleeding back against the rough splinters, trying to get one more breath of life because he had something else. He had to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. understand 
that was the very truth that came piercing into his heart from heaven by the Holy Spirit. It was that truth that gave him the courage to go to the cross because man was tricked by Satan. He didn't know. He was fooled. Have you ever wondered why Jesus did not make atonement for the devil? He did not make atonement for the angels. Why didn't he? Because those angels and that devil understood perfectly who the father was, and they were not seduced. They were not tricked. They chose wide open to walk in disobedience against God. There was no atonement made possible for them. But we who are human, we were tricked. We were seduced. We didn't know. And because we didn't know, Jesus took pity on us and said, I will die for you. I will be separated from the Father for you. I will join you. I will go into death itself for you. Now he asks us. I went into death for you. Will you go into life for me? Do you understand? Jesus walked into death for me. And he asks me to walk with him out of that death and to walk into life with him. And most are not going to walk into life. They're going to insist that their death is so pleasurable that they want to stay there, that they have no heart or desire to be with the Father. Now, believe me, Jesus does not want to torture a person through eternity. If they don't want to be in life, if they don't want to be in the presence of the Father, then he doesn't want them to be tortured for eternity by having to be in the presence of the Father. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be in death or do you want to be in life? If you want to be in life, you're going to have to leave your death and come into life. That means all of the idols have to go. It means all the attitudes have to change. It means a total reworking of our whole being. And Jesus has kindly given us these years for that work to be in process so that for once and for all, We can be educated in the holy things of God so that we can be raised up as his priests in his temple. What did the priests do in the temple? They taught the people the ways of God. What are we going to do through eternity? We're going to teach the universes the ways of the living God. And we're going to bear testimony that Jesus Christ is such love that he left life and became death, that I could become life by leaving death. You see, out of our temptations come great victories. Not just victories for us, but victories for God, because when we gain the victory, we're moving into the Father's heart, Every victory over every sin draws us into the heart of the Father. And every time we fail, we walk into death. That's why Jesus said, He knew what was in every man. He knows what's in your heart. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the lies that Satan has spoken to you. He knows that Satan wants to keep you occupied with death. He wants to fill your hours with death. 
Satan rejoices as men and women die. Jesus Christ is inviting us into life. And he rejoices with one of his sheep who confesses their sins and leaves death, comes into life. Now, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Now, why would he say such a thing? Because everything that we've known as human beings is death. And he didn't come to make peace with death. He came to bring a sword against death. He came to slay death. He came to gain the victory over death. Death no longer has sting. Because he rose from that grave. And so... Our family, our wife, our husband, our children, they say, Oh, Daddy, don't get too radical. Oh, Daddy, don't go overboard. We have to have some balance here. I don't mind if you have 25 or 30% life, but let's keep our 60% death deal going. You know, I... I want a little of the I want a little of the violence. I want a little of the television. I want a little of the video. You know, I, I just want to be normal. I want I want a car. I want a, I want what I want when I want it. Just let me have 60% death and give me 30% life. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the life he's now brought to us? Will you walk into that life and leave your death? Or will you try to drag your death into life? You want to keep your attitude, your arrogance, your pride? You want to keep your family's approval? You want to have everybody happy with you? Well, everybody's living in death. You can't live in death and live in the Father's heart because there's no death in the Father's heart. There's only life. The Lord is calling for you tonight to no longer enter into temptation. And he's calling you to go into that prayer closet and deal with those issues that that death would not come upon you. Now, let me be real straight with you. I see the life of God flowing in this congregation in waves. It's as though an ocean wave comes along and picks us up, and there's a bit of life. And then the ocean wave goes out, and we sit in the middle of death. And then a little bit of God will come flowing in again and lift us up. And then we're back in the death. I'm tired of that. Some of you come and you're very fervent in prayer. And the next time you come, you're deader than a doornail. Some of you come and you're 
praising God and you're worshiping the Lord and you're on fire. And the next time you come and you look like a sick cow. Why? Your face gives you away. You've not been spending time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the temptation you've succumbed to. And you've cast off the living God. And you've chosen death. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that so that you will see the pattern and recognize the flow. By the grace of God, he's going to flow back in and he's going to pick us up again. And he's going to say, look, I love you. Will you leave this death? Will you come on out to sea with me? Are you going to hang out there in the little shallow pool? And I'm going to send little waves in to lift you a little bit. Are you willing to get out in the deep water and leave death behind? Move into the Father's heart. Let's pray. Almighty God, you spoke into my heart and said, Enter not into temptation. Lord, I'm tired of of this separation from your heart. Lord, I don't want to be washed this way and that way. I don't want to be a double-minded man, and I don't want a congregation of double-minded people. Lord, I want a people who are firmly committed, standing though the heavens fall, coming into the Garden of Gethsemane daily, And crying aloud, entering not into temptation, but walking in glorious victory. Lord, I ask you to do that in this congregation. And Lord, I ask you to prepare this people to go into the Garden of Gethsemane on behalf of those who will come this Sunday. For Lord, we need to have revival on Sunday. Lord, we need to have the breaking out of your Holy Spirit. We need to have the altars full without even an altar call, Lord. We need to have men and women confessing that they have made an alliance with death and that this day they choose life. Lord, would you do that for us? And we will praise you and honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to. Him.